0: Hello, and welcome to From Sunday to Monday, the River Oaks Presbyterian Church's podcast. I'm Ricky Jones, and I'm sitting here with... This is Jonathan Dorst,
1: and uh, if you're listening to us on vacation, we hope you're having a great vacation, and, and you're taking a trip this week, Ricky, but not vacation. It is
0: not vacation, it's uh, it's work, it's through the great city of Mobile, Alabama. One could argue that it's the opposite of the It opposite. is the opposite, I would argue that, actually, <laughs> yeah. Well, the General Assembly, that is uh, a meeting we have every year, and you can kind of think of Presbyterian Church like a country. We, we love the fact that we're in a denomination. We think that's a good thing, and, and what it does is it gives us a family of other churches that we are, uh, we're close to, that we uh, support, encourage, and hold accountable, and you can think of it uh, just as an analogy, you can think of every individual church as um, a city. You could think of the presbyteries uh, as states, and the general assembly then would be more or less the equivalent of the federal government or the nation. And so it's all uh, just one char- uh, one church. Just look at it from different points of view, and getting uh, larger as the courts change. But it's it's great. Uh, you you've been to general assembly several times. What do, what do you like about it? What do you uh, what, what frustrates you about it?
1: I like getting to see different cities. It's always in a different city. I like to see guys I went to seminary with and catch up with them. Yeah. And then um, just like the, it, it gives you kind of a good feel for where the denomination is. Although it also can be deceptive. How's that? Since, you know, it, all, it always seems like there's one big issue that's going to divide the denomination every year.
0: And it never really it never does. does. It never does. It's funny. Yeah, I love it. I think it's it's just good for us to you know be together and to know that we're not alone. Absolutely. And, and to see that there's no there's no bad guys out there. We're all just trying to do our best to, to preach the gospel and to bless churches. Um, yeah. I, I get frustrated by the parliamentary procedure, and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a lot longer to do something than I think it should. But but that's just true across the board. I mean, yeah. from the way session meetings run to the way it. Traffic works. Pretty much everything <laughs> takes longer than I think it should. It's designed to frustrate you. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and the worship services at General Assembly are wonderful. Yeah. And the seminars, especially in the last five, ten years, have been uh, some great
0: seminars. I always learn quite a bit. So. If you were going to teach a seminar, what would it be on? Arts and culture in the church. Arts and culture in the church. And what would be your primary driving point? That we should be
1: more thoughtful about looking at and practicing culture redemptively.
0: We shouldn't just say that all movies are evil? No, we should not.
1: And we should also not just say all movies are good.
0: Oh, wow. Discernment sounds hard.
1: <laughs>
0: Indeed. I think if I were going to teach one, I would teach one about fellowship in the ministry. Yeah that nobody uh, should, nobody can thrive in the ministry alone, and nobody should try. So that's kind of become my chief message over the last 10 years. In fact, you did teach that, but not a General Assembly. Not a General Assembly. I've taught it uh, to Acts 29, and I've taught it to uh, the Southwest Church Planning Network, but I'm not not taught it on our denominational level. I think you have to volunteer now. It's kind of weird. I noticed on the website, I was like, if you want to teach a seminar, click here. And I'm like, that just feels, that felt weird to me. You'd rather be invited. I would rather be invited. That makes sense.
1: Okay, well, today we are going to talk about something that's very important, although um, maybe gets more stressed in some traditions than others. It's uh, the subject of communion or the Lord's mm. Supper. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So let's start off with the kind of a basic question, why do we take communion?
0: Why don't we take communion? Well, we take communion because our Lord is very gracious, and He, he understands how He created us. He created us physical, um, and we're not purely spiritual beings. And as physical beings, we need physical signs, physical representations that remind us uh, that we uh, are, are in Him, we're united to Him, that He's real, and that His work is on our behalf. And so he, He's given us these physical signs that we can feel, see, taste, touch, and smell. And um, I try to, whenever I'm doing the Lord's Supper, I try to bring all of those things in to bear so that every one of the senses are engaged as a, as a physical reminder, as a reminder that uh, is a seal, a seal to our faith. That we are united to Christ, He is united to us. He has washed our sin away, and we are clean and, and accepted and approved in Him. So, is that that kind of what you're getting at, or you want to yeah. redirect? Well, that's a that's a good
1: answer. And and just maybe following up on that is um, why do we why do we eat the bread
0: and drink the wine every yeah. every week? You don't have to do it every week. You only need to do it as often as you need it. And uh, so, I, for me, that would be every day. Sometimes I do it twice on Sunday. But, um, you know, we do it every week because uh, every week, to some, to some degree or another, we are falling away from the faith. And we need to be restored. We need to be reminded uh, that the Lord is, is with us, uh, that He's not disappointed in us, that He fully receives us and accepts us in the Beloved. So the bread is there as a reminder of all the, the good works that Christ has done on our behalf, that he has fulfilled the covenant. Uh, he has kept every covenantal obligation that Moses uh, laid on the people of Israel. Jesus has fulfilled them all perfectly, and in doing that has won every uh, covenant blessing for us. And we drink the wine as a reminder that Christ has shed his blood, suffering for our sins, and to, wa- to wash us clean. So we are washed clean in Him. Yeah. Two things. uh, So you only need to do it as often as you feel like you have failed or fallen short. You need the bread, and as often as you have feel like you've sinned and done something wrong, you need the wine. And if you haven't done that this month or week, then uh, there's probably something else wrong with you. But
1: yeah, it's interesting. I grew up in a church that would take communion once a quarter, and uh, and then when I Went to start a church. I decided I'm going to do it every other week. I kind of wanted it to be special. Not every week, but I wanted it to be regular. But then I was preaching through Luke, mm-hmm. and I got to Luke 24, where Jesus is walking with the disciples to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. And mm-hmm. he, he preaches basically to them preaches mm-hmm. the gospel of, of who he is from all the scriptures. They still don't recognize him, and then they invite him into their home. And they have a meal together, and then Jesus takes the bread, and he breaks it, yeah. and they recognize it. Yeah. And that, when I was preparing that sermon, I just thought, there is something powerful, that the that the sacrament of communion goes along with the preaching of the Word, and it illuminates it. As you said, it's that physical manifestation of the gospel. Yeah, and uh, And all of the arguments for me about it being special... Go right along with preaching, right? Mm-hmm. I want preaching to be special, but I want to be preached to every mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. week. In fact, I need to preach the gospel myself every day, and so um, the sacrament is special because I every need time,
0: it every time. Well, it to me, it's um, it it completes the service. You know, after you've had a really good intimate conversation with somebody you feel weird breaking that conversation off. You want to you touch them. You want to shake their hand. You want to hug them. You want to kiss them goodbye. You want so you need some kind of physical uh, intimacy to, to kind of close that, that conversation, to close that moment. And I think that's created, and I think that's one of the things we're doing in Communion. Where I've said it before, you know, you're, you're, we're coming to the Lord to get our hug, and I got laughed at for being uh, cheesy, and that's a pretty cheesy way to say it. I probably deserved the laugh, but the the point stands. It it, um, it is our chance to be to be physically intimate with the Lord.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think evangelicals tend to be pretty gnostic about our faith, meaning we we just make it very intellectual and spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I think communion helps us to remember that God cares about our physical body, cares about creation.
0: Yeah, Jesus absolutely. was
1: a man as well as God, and uh, everything about us, God cares about.
0: Yep, absolutely. So
1: next question. What happens in communion? What should we feel? I get asked that. What, what should we feel when we take communion?
0: What should we feel? Uh, I, well, A, I, let me say this. I don't like the word should and feel. I don't like those two words being together mm. because, uh, to some degree, emotions should be free of alt. <laughs> I'm not sure that mm. it's fair to tell anybody, well, if you're a good Christian, then you'll feel like this or that. And so I understand what you're saying, and I, but I want to kind of just throw that out there that I don't think it's— I, I, we need to stop using the word should about things that have no absolute moral— imperative, Mm -hmm. and feelings are typically free from moral imperatives. Uh, With that being said, my uh, little—I can throw that soapbox into the corner now. Um, You know, there's two experiences that should be going on. One is the experience of repentance. It should be an experience of, uh, you know, before we come to the table, there should be self-evaluation, self-examination, and we're we're saying to the Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me, and if there is, please— Remove it from me. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes people will come to me before they go to take communion and pray. And they'll confess sins, which is extremely appropriate. Um, so there's that there's that feeling of kind of a brokenness. And then as we take communion, that, that feeling should be transformed into a feeling of joy that I've been cleansed. And more than just cleansed, I've been received. Uh, the Lord has, has not only made it possible for me to come into his presence, but he's actually drawn me into his presence. And so that's, those, those are the two things I stress there. Yeah, I'm sorry, it looks like you were ready to say something. No, nope, nope. I just got you excited. That That's good stuff. That is good stuff. So who should take communion? Who should take communion? Uh, well, anyone who is a member uh, in good standing of a church, first of all. And that's something that's, getting more and more confusing as, as few as fewer and fewer churches take church membership seriously um the body of christ the the elements of communion are offered to the church it is the church's meal the church has the uh the keys to the kingdom of heaven and earth and that and we've always interpreted those for 2,000 years that's been interpreted to mean uh, communion and baptism and you know, it's kind of the spirit of the age to throw away everything that's old, and I'm going to fight for church membership uh, with my, to my dying breath, I guess, because I mm-hmm. I just feel like it's too great of a privilege, it's too huge of an honor uh, for us to just twiddle it away. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's funny people just fight against obligation, but it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's like a marriage, yeah. and so it's to members of the church who. Uh, who are able? Who, who believe in Christ, and who believe that He has died for them, and and who have put their faith in Him and received Him as their Lord? Uh, it's it's for Christians, is is what I'm trying to say there. And it's for Christians with strong faith. It's for Christians with weak faith. It's for Christians with um, uh, doubts. It's for Christians uh, who don't struggle with doubt. Uh, but it is for repentant uh, Christians who want to be better. Uh, who are Seeking to live like believers. Yeah.
1: When sometimes there are people who come to our church or other Presbyterian churches and they hear us uh, do what we call "fence the table," mm-hmm. what, and they don't they don't know what that
0: means. Right. What, is, what is fencing the table? Fencing the table is is a warning. It's a warning that you shouldn't just come up and take the Lord's Supper because everybody else is doing it. It is a, it is an exercise of faith. And if you don't have faith, if you don't have the faith to, uh, as the Apostle Paul says, discern the Lord's body, if you're just eating bread and drinking juice or wine, and you're not spiritually feeding on the body of Christ, then, then you don't need to come. And the reason why you don't need to come is because you'll be drinking judgment upon yourself. Now, that sounds real dramatic, and it is dramatic, but it's not dramatic in the way you think. Um, it's not—drinking judgment on yourself doesn't mean you're going to choke and die. Hmm. Uh, it means that nothing's going to happen. And the worst thing that could possibly be said about you is you took communion and nothing happened. Yeah. Um, the, the Holy Spirit didn't feed your soul. Your faith wasn't strengthened. You weren't strengthened in your walk of righteousness. Nothing happened. And, and when nothing happens, when you take the Lord's Supper and nothing happens— uh, that means your heart is growing colder. That means you're actually growing less likely to ever believe. Uh, it means that there is uh, a deadening of your soul that's going on. That's very sad. Yeah. And we want to protect people from that. That's why we warn them and fence the table.
1: Yeah, that that warning in First uh, Corinthians that Paul makes against drink, eating and drinking judgment on yourself seems to be go along with this bigger theme in Scripture of the more you know... The more you have experienced of the things of God, the more you're held accountable, mm-hmm. and possibly judgment is greater. Mm-hmm. on you. So here's a question that we sometimes get, and it has to do with our view of both sacraments of communion and baptism, mm-hmm. and, and with little children. If, so the question is something like this, if we baptize babies who don't profess faith, why don't we let toddlers who don't profess faith take communion?
0: That's a great question, and I love the answer to this question. Now, some people love neat categories, and they want to say uh, either baptize children and bring children to the Lord's table, or don't baptize children and don't bring them to the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. But I love, I just love the fact that we baptize infants, but we wait for children to make a profession of faith, make wait for them to claim the, the faith of Christianity as their own before we let them to come to the Lord's table. And and the reason for that is, the reason why I love that is because uh, faith, just like love, just like any other kind of relationship, has an objective and a subjective element. Uh, The objective element is what's clearly true about you. You are a member of this church. I can tell you whether you are or not. I can give you with absolute certainty, I can tell you whether you're a member of my church or not, Mm -hmm. our, our church. Um, and if you have been baptized, if you are a, an infant, a child of someone who is a member, then we baptize you, and that's the objective standard. You are a member of this church. And, uh, um, and so we, we give you that seal that because you're a member of that, of this church, you're also a member of the church of Christ. However, we're, there's also something going on in your heart. I, I can't tell you whether you believe in Christ or not. Only you know that. Only you know what's going on inside of you, whether you're truly repentant of your sins, whether you believe in Christ, whether you are endeavoring to live the way a believer ought to live. You can fool me. It's not hard to fool me. It's not hard to fool anybody else. That's a subjective call. And and uh, we let children make that, They come to their own senses and, and decide that for themselves. And so um, until they're ready to make that decision, we hold them from the Lord's table. And then when they are... Ready to make that uh, decision, then um, then we admit them, and they, and joyfully we admit them. And, and in our church, we admit people early, usually on the testimony of their parents. But I always bring the children in, and it's always a great time. I love to do an interview. I'd love to maybe we can do a whole podcast on just kind of how those interviews go. Yeah, I think that would be fun. So anyway, I love that. Uh, it, it you know, there's great illustrations of it. The, the best illustration in my mind is um, think of of baptism as the engagement. Mm-hmm. When, when a couple gets engaged, or even honestly it would be more accurate to think of it as a betrothal mm-hmm. um, you know when uh, in biblical times and in other eras of history, children would be betrothed to uh, someone else by their parents from a very early age, and then when they were old enough to support their spouse and to live with the spouse and when they their own hearts kind of confirmed, yes, I want to do this, then they would get married. And then once you're married, the tr- true biblical sign that you are married is when the two become one flesh, uh, which is, of course, when they um, consummate the union uh, sexually, physically. And in the same way, that's exactly what we're doing And when we take communion. We're consummating our union with Christ physically through the bread and the, the wine. Yeah. So I've always loved that imagery. That's imagery that some people find shocking or off-putting but it's true. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism describes it. It says, through the taking of communion, we, uh, we our union with Christ and our salvation in Christ is both symbolized and effected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's both a beautiful picture of our union with Christ, but it's also making us more united to Him, yeah. which is, uh, again, the way physical love is in a marriage. It's it, obviously, you know, the husband and wife coming together and the two uh, being together, it's a beautiful picture of them becoming one flesh. But it's also, it also makes you feel more intimate toward each other. And uh, and that's one of the really things I love about
1: it. Yeah, it's making what is true even more of a reality. Which, yeah. which I think is true for all of what we call uh, the ordinary means of grace. Mm-hmm. We like to I like to use that in our in our fancy theological circles. Well, some people do. Some people do. <laughs> I guess I've never heard you use it. I've never <laughs> <that.
0: laughs> I should probably say it more often.
1: What, uh, what are some of the ordinary means of grace?
0: Uh, we would say the Lord's Supper. The Is Lord's the Supper. ordinary means of grace. Uh, prayer, uh, baptism, uh, preaching of the word, worship, corporate worship, being together, fellowship, Uh, Kind of those things that we find in Acts two mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. early
1: churches together. These are the things that they did. Mm -hmm. This is the way they grew in their faith. They're they're the ordinary things God gives us to grow our faith. They're not miraculous. They're not uh, extraordinary, but it's just and they're means of
0: grace. It's so important to remember that they're means of grace. Just like plumbing is a means of getting water, Mm -hmm. Um, they're not the grace themselves. It's important to not confuse reading the Bible with uh, the grace that comes from uh, being fed by the gospel. It's important to not confuse taking communion with the grace that comes as the Holy Spirit is communicated to us through those elements. And so uh, just like when you're dying of thirst, you don't want to see somebody's plumbing. You want them to use the plumbing to get you the water. Um, If you're dying for Jesus, you don't want the sacraments. You want Jesus. But the sacraments are the way you get to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the gospel preaching, the the fellowship of the church, those those are the ways you get to Jesus. You know He's there. You know He's there. If you're dying to see Jesus, I used to use this as an illustration. I would tell people, they would say, why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to take the sacraments? And I'd say, well, let's pretend you're going to fly to California. And I found you out standing with your, your luggage and you're standing in the front yard. i said what are you doing? You'd say, well, I'm about to fly to California. As soon as a plane lands, I'm going to get on it and go to California. I'd say, well... I would say, if you want to get on a plane, you need to go to the airport because that's where the planes are. Now, a plane might land here. It might, but it probably won't. I mean, the odds of it happening are, are few. You know, is it possible that you could find Jesus laying in your bed or out at the lake or at the golf course? It's possible, but honestly, probably not. I love to play golf, but I've never met Jesus on the golf course. I meet him every week in church. I meet him every week at the Lord's Supper. He has promised to be there. So if I need to be with him, I need to go where I know he's going to be.
1: You know, and that's such an important concept. It's not just the abstract theological. We were talking at lunch about uh, camps mm-hmm. and how there's there's often an emphasis on a big emotional experience. And, it, and And that's fine, and I'm for that. But the problem sometimes, I think, is we bring that back into the church and want every week to be this huge emotional experience mm-hmm. rather than just... The ordinary life of a Christian yeah. is going and hearing the Word preached, and praying with others, mm-hmm. and confessing your sin, taking the sacraments,
0: and believing by faith that Jesus is there. Yeah, He's there, and He is He's nourishing your soul. Yeah. Amen. Good stuff. Good stuff.
1: I think that's all I got.
0: And I think that's enough, man. That's good stuff. That I I loved stuff. it so much. I want to go and listen to this right now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope uh, this podcast has been encouraging to you. Please email us any of your questions to info at riveroakstulsa.com. And as always, please feel free to share this podcast with a friend via Facebook, Twitter, or best of all, going onto to the podcast store and giving us a positive review. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week on From Sunday to Monday.